Guys, people, on today's show, we share part two of the Erica Van Alstyne story, abuse, addiction, recovery, and redemption. As we stated last week, this is mature content. Actually, our very first episode where I decided to actually flag it as explicit content because we're going to be talking about mature things that I believe are only for adults or at least should only be shared in the presence of a legal guardian. So please take that into consideration as you sit back, relax, and enjoy the inspiration. Let's go. Inspiration now in session. Inspire guys, people. My wife thinks I'm crazy. How did we get here? I can't believe y'all let me have a show. We going higher and higher, let me inspire you. Guys, people, I see you, let me admire you. He gave you vision and purpose, but you struggled to dream. Cause the seed that was sown wasn't stitched in your jeans. What was in them was denim. I guess what's in them is in them. There's a different perspective that I'm trying to present them. It ain't always peace when you see the peace sign. It don't make you a Levite cause you rock Levi's. What's up, people? I am your host, Jay Will, and I would like to welcome you to Inspire Guys People, where we balance faith and business to guide you to your purpose. Man, I left y'all hanging on that last episode, didn't I? Some of y'all was so mad, man. I got I got a few emails and messages, DMs, like, yo, you waited right until it got to that part. And yes, I did. Um, I had to do that to y'all. I'm sorry. Um, but look, we here already. It's the second part. For anyone who didn't listen to um, the part one of episode 133, I would advise you to like hit pause on this one. Go to the previous episode. It says part one in the description. Listen to that first and then check out part two um, as we uh, continue to dive into Erica's story. I know y'all can't wait, so I'm not going to have like a long intro or nothing. We're going to pretty much jump right into it. And then, um, you know, let me know what you think. Um, I do want to say a couple things. Like, appreciate everybody out there who emails me at jermainwilsonmusic at gmail.com. Um, as I've told y'all, I am kind of pre in the preliminary stages of, I can't talk, uh, planning a virtual meetup. Um, it's going to be more so focused around kind of business professionals and entrepreneurs. And um, if you're interested in that, which uh, quite a few people have already told me they're interested and I'm trying to figure out exactly how many people I want to have. Maybe I'll have two different meetups. I'm not sure. But if you are interested, shoot me an email or shoot me a message on Instagram or Facebook. So email JermaineWilsonMusic at gmail.com or just hit up InspireGuysPeople.com and go to contact or whatever. And please excuse me because I have done nothing with my website this year. Okay. absolutely. Nothing. And I'm sorry. I'm going to get to it at some point. It's a lot of things we got to prioritize, people. We have to prioritize. All right. Um, what else I got to say, man? Um, we talked about the email, talked about the virtual meetup. And again, the virtual meetup, like what is it going to be exactly? Not 100% sure. Okay. What I'm really envisioning at this point is a place where entrepreneurs and business professionals can A, network. Right. So do a little networking, learn about each other, maybe ask some questions. Um, people share some best practices. Here's one of the things that I just know is that successful people surround themselves with like minded individuals. And I know a lot of times for people who might be listening to this show, you might be one of the only people in your community or your neighborhood or in your family who think like this or 
is interested in these type of things. And what ends up happening is if you don't try to surround yourself with like-minded people, you are going to eventually in some type of way be impacted by the people who don't necessarily think like you, that you constantly are around. In a lot of the business books I've read, um, you know, these people are not just successful by happenstance. They are like CEOs hang around CEOs. And I'm not saying other people are beneath you or something or like you got to like disown your family. That, I, I'm not on that. But what I am saying is that, yo, I do want to find ways to connect us because there are so many great people that listen to this show. You hear the type of people that have been interviewed on the show. And I would just I'm just looking for ways of like, how do I connect dots, bring people together, introduce people? Um, you know, this is how we change people's lives. This is about faith, balance and faith in business is what we're all about. So, yo, if you're a new listener, I'll tell, ask you to do this. Go back to our earlier episodes. Start at episode one. You can listen to two episodes a week, one a day, whatever suits you. But I think it's super valuable to go back and listen to our earlier episodes, and you're going to get a lot of information. You get what I'm saying? All right. Enough about all that, because y'all really just want to hear part two of this interview. And so I'm going to get out of your way with just me talking, and we're going to listen in to part two of abuse, addiction, recovery, recovery and redemption. Recovery, and redemption. Recovery. Let me interview you. Here's what we going to do. You going to talk to me, and I'm going to talk to you, maybe on the phone or possibly in person. Either way it goes, we gon' be talking purpose. And again, something in my spirit was just like, do this, you can do this. And we did that. Well, he kept finding us. And I was he was he had people sent after us and I was scared for her and her family. And I and they were so kind to me. So we went back. And that was the worst thing we could have did because I was separated from my son. Yeah. And we had a trailer in the woods. And it, it was just it was just really, you know, it was really it was really not good. But me being separated from my son, it kinda I I I, I did not that right there. I guess they say like that mama bear in me came out and um, that was the point that um, I did make the finalization. So I went to a um, domestic violence shelter in that area. The difference between in the country and in the city, a domestic violence shelter in the country is more like kind people opening up their homes like a safe house gotcha. and they constantly move you around. Well, the last safe house that I was at, um, was a nice woman. She had she had very big sons. Um, the runt of her sons, he was like six four, two hundred fifty pounds. And my son felt safe because my son told her he was like, "My daddy go kill you." She put her three fifty seven Magnum on the table. She was part of a biker club. She said, "Your daddy ain't gonna do nothing." Wow. She said, "Your daddy come, I got something for him." And that right there made my son feel safe. That night, one of her sons um took my son out to teach him how to shoot a gun. Taught taught my son how to take care of me, taught my son the stance to look for when we come to a house. I mean, just just really taught him how Man. to survive outside and find his way home from the stars, stuff that a city boy usually don't learn. They taught my son that because they saw he needed that strength to be strong for me so we get out of the situation. And that brings me to why my last name is Van Austin, okay? Um, so the one guy in particular, Justin, that's my daughter's father, you know, um, he saw a need. I he saw that I needed to change my last name, period. Period. Yeah. 
And he was using at the time, he was using meth. His teeth was messed up. He needed, I had dental insurance, but I had a job. So we was like, okay, let's get married. You know, so we yeah. I do, we could do all this. And we did that. You know, plus he was my protector at the time. Well, what's crazy is, you know, I mean, not to get in detail, but, you know, whether it's right or wrong, we looked at it like, well, we married. You know, okay, let's have that. We, we literally, we right. literally made it one time. Right. <laughs> and I got pregnant for Brianna. The thing is, is I was going to have abortion but again that's God something in the spirit would not allow me to so he came to me and he said I have to be honest with you he said I love my daughter but I am not attracted to black women I said great because I'm not attracted to white guys so we co-parent beautifully together got you so that's how Brie came to pass. Now, I'm going to Brie. Now, all of that was just to bring up to the present. So just to quickly go through it. So when I came back to Detroit, um, when my daughter was six months old, that was 2008. Um, I dove right. I dove right into the um, hardcore drugs full blown. Wow. And, um, and that's where my that's where the cocaine started to crack and the crack led to because, you know, what goes up must come down. Crack is an upper. And I was up four five days, but I got to work and be productive. So that's when the heroin came. And it was just it went back and forth. And then once you get on heroin, like anybody knows, it's a it's a it's a opiate addiction. So. What that means is when you when you stop doing it, you get physically sick. It's almost like I tell people the example is it's the worst case of the flu you've ever had instantly. And all you need is a little teeny bit of dough and you'll be all better. So that's where the everyday, you know, maintenance comes from. And that just became my life. And as long as I had enough to have my little bit, I was straight. Mind you, I always had a job. The drugs got expensive. So I always fell back on the trade that I learned at a young age, thanks to my son father. So now I was out there, you know, even though I was working in a professional setting, working by day, by night, I was doing my thing. So I had like a dual, I had a dual reputation among some crowds. And it was kind of weird because, um, you know, I wore different hats. And I started my, 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 it, it, I, went, I started back working at this second chance program. They actually started letting me run that program. Well, the problem with that is I had the 48205 with, with zip code, which is the red zone. And a lot of my clients came to me because they dropped dirty with their probation officers for smoking weed. And uh, the only way that they could stay out of jail is if they came through my program. Well, let's see. I was using. So what do you think they was doing to get me signed off on their paperwork? I was getting dope dropped off to me like DoorDash. Wow. At, at, a, at a federal building. And then I started smoking crack in my office. I mean, I was very blatant. And, could, um, anybody, could anybody tell, like, was was your behavior different at all? Or were you able to kind of like, like you said, you had dual reputation. Were you able to kind of play whatever role you needed to play um, to kind of like hide it? Or, or, or were people kind of like suspect, like, all right, something's going on? So I was able to hide it. You know why? Because I knew how to pick. Still to this day, I don't care if I'm dealing with lawyers, judges, whoever. I could pick out the ones that's using. And those are the okay. ones that I deal with. 
you know, well, I won't get into that detail because I don't know listening. But yeah, I was I was good. I was good because I always knew how to pick out the people that was on the same level as me. That's why I tell people, you know, if you even if you got a GED out here, do not let nobody think that they better than you. You don't know what these people are doing just because they got a PhD on it behind their name. And you know what's crazy about that? Like, you know, um, you know, my wife worked, um, you know, in for a couple of years in a in a doctor's office. And, you know, she when she first started working there, like she was blown away at what normal, you know, professionals were what type of prescriptions they and we talking even prescription drugs, you know what I mean? Like yes. not even getting into none of the hardcore stuff. But like to your point, like. We got to be careful. Like, it sounds so simple. Don't judge a book by its cover. But, like, it really is a situation. Like you said, you're able to kind of walk in coming from that lifestyle and you can almost call, you know, pinpoint um, someone who's playing a role because of a title or position that they have. But they got, um, you know, an issue, too. So that that's real interesting. So but you said, you, you know, you got to the point where you were kind of like. Uh, smoking in your office and yeah uh, I'm just curious like because you you really went from you know kind of being stuck in that lifestyle to coming back home and now that you're like smoking in the office and things like that it sounds like you were getting maybe I don't know if that's confidence or recklessness um no that was that was the beginning of the end okay got you that's got where you. my end came because that was at the point where um you know, I got caught because I set off the uh, smoke alarms. Okay, and so that's the for the fall. I got you. Mind you, that was the that was the um that was the um the fire. That's a federal bill that I was in. The fire department came out, and I, you know, if people be like, stop saying, I, I would tell you that was God because had I went to jail for that, I wouldn't be able to do the work that I'm doing now. Yeah, you know, God saw God. God, he 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 knows my pain. He he. I already had my past set out, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I understand that because do you know it just so happened it was a candle that was that it was a candle out for whatever reason. And they was like, Oh, well, we see what the problem what? is right here. Look, look, look. When I tell you, oh check gosh. this out, check this out. All I got that day was a ticket because you're not supposed to be having lighting candles. Yeah, you know? I don't care what nobody say. That was God. Like, yeah, so whoever, it was. Because like, that's a whole, that's yeah. a whole felony. Yeah, that's, so yeah, that was God. I was like, okay, but you know what? I, I got scared. I got scared. I was like, now nah, the fear set in. It's like, okay, you are not invincible, and you know what? I quit that job. I quit that job that day. I I might even go to. I'm gonna tell you how much I was making. I was making enough to sustain my whole household as a single mom and make sure my son had the best of everything. That's how much I was making. Yeah. And I just quit that job on impulse. They're going to impulse again. Okay, I quit the job because I was scared. Instead of a uh, 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 normal thinking person would have been like, you know what? God saved you from this. How about you go get some help? Yeah. No. I quit. Now, mind you, when I quit, at the time I had a boyfriend who was the dope man. So he goes, I mean, duh, he gonna take care of me. Right, know? right, right. 
So it made sense to me, right? And what was crazy was this is what an addict will do. Not only will they, it make sense to them, they will get it to make sense to others. And I don't know how I did it, but I convinced my parents that this move made sense. Yeah, there was a lot of lies and different things there, but I did. I convinced them that it just made sense. But they didn't realize the the slow descent that I had been going on. So mind you, I don't have a job now. So now I'm, you know how you get paid. I had about three more checks coming to me. I had my last two checks plus I had all my vacation time coming to me. So I'm living La Vida Loca, you know. Man. And what was crazy was toward the end. So, um, I had started not coming home and that was when my parents because I, I have always been a present parent for the most part maybe not emotionally but definitely yeah. physically there but um my parents was like what's going on and finally I was just so arrogant I'm like you know I'm about to do it my stem fell out one of those things you know something happened to where they was like because my dad is an ex-drug addict so he already knew the signs or whatever and um my mama put me out and then I told her I was taking my kids. And she told me if I, she said, you get out. And if you take the kids, I'll call CPS myself. And then get taken from both of us. So I just left from there. I cut my ego, put my ego aside. And uh, I went to go live with him. And um, I'll never forget the, um, <sighs> anybody that has a daughter, a sister. It's different for boys, mm -hmm. but I'll never forgive my daughter's face when I was put out and she knew she wasn't going to see me. That right there, it was crazy. And I cry about it now because at the time I did not have no feeling about it. Wow. And that, that right there just showed me how drugs takes everything from you. It takes everything. It takes your ability to love. It, that's why I tell people don't drug, don't judge an addict because that don't mean they don't love their kids. That don't mean they don't love. That means they don't have the ability to do it right now. That's not them. That's not them. It's a it's a demonic spirit yeah. over them, and you got to understand that. You know, and um, I tell people, I said, you don't understand. I was I, I was always raised around praying people, and I feel like that constant prayer that was around me is what eventually brought me out of that demonic state. But um, it was just it. So I went there, and my whole everything. I went to an absolutely toxic situation, and I became street level. I was living in a trap house washing up in a um in a in a bowl of water um not properly doing anything i lost a lot of weight and i was street level i was begging at gas stations i was tricking in houses on dirty mattresses with who knows who and um i've had several closed head injuries um i've gotten my i've gotten beat up i've gotten my head bashed in gotten guns pulled on me um i've had um a lot of different, um, you know, things happen that I'm still healing from emotionally and physically. Uh, some wounds that will never go away, you know, things that I have to have acceptance, you know, yeah. I have acceptance today. But um, so I just want to bring my story to a point of I did eventually, I got help. I got tired. 
I got tired. I got tired and I got help. And I went and got help and I went to treatment. And I was so grateful just to be able to take a shower. I was so grateful just to be able to use the bathroom and a functioning toilet. I was so happy just to be able to eat every day. I was so grateful. And they, you know, it was just, I stayed there and I started listening. And unfortunately, the way the system was set up, which is why I do the work that I do now, when I was done with treatment, they didn't have no three-quarter house beds available for me. So I had to go right back to the drug house. And um, I I just thought, but I didn't want to use. I didn't want to use. But he continuously cooked dope up in the house, let people use in the house, everything. So um, I... I remember learning a trade that my mama taught me at an early age. She taught me how to crochet. And what I did with that trade was um, I bought a, I went to Value World, which is a secondhand store, and I bought a whole bunch. They got a whole bunch of yarn in a bag for like $5, a whole bunch of different colors because yarn is expensive. Mm-hmm. And I bought a crochet needle. And every time I got the urge to use or people use around me, I locked myself in the room and I crocheted. Well, after a week, I made almost a queen-size blanket. And, I, and, the, and the significance of that is I sat there and looked at that blanket. Anybody that crochets know that's a hard thing to do in a, in a, in a month, let alone a week. But um, I looked at seeing the beauty in that. I call it my junk blanket because it was all different colors, but I see the <laughs> beauty in that. And I saw the hope. And I saw the fact that most of all, I could complete something. I could follow through with something. I called the person that's my recovery coach. I'm a recovery coach today. Well, at the time I called my I called the person that was my recovery coach. He helped me get into a three-quarter house. He actually paid for the first week and helped me get a job so I could pay for my weeks after that. Okay. And um That's powerful. I wish that I could say I've been clean ever since, but I'm going to tell you my story got a bump in it because even though I was clean and I had made it almost a year and I was um, I was um, working at a drug treatment center, I was not working my program. Today, I am part of Narcotics Anonymous. Anybody that does not know about that or that judges that, let me tell you, there are a lot of us in Narcotics Anonymous that are very spiritual. We do believe in God, but we also, we need that, but we also need this program because yes. we we need something more centered. And I'm going to tell you right now, Narcotics Anonymous, the 12-step program, I stopped doing the work. I did not. I stopped working with my sponsor. I stopped doing the work. What that? What happened was I'm thinking I had arrived. I'm arrogant because I got this clean time and I'm still trying to help him, my boyfriend. Well, he wound up dying in OD right in front of me. Wow. And and see, a lot of people say, well, I know why you relapsed because of that. No, I'm not going on. I didn't relapse because he died. I relapsed because of my lack of recovery. When you do not do the work that you need to do, because life is going to happen. Yeah. Our parents, our siblings, sometimes, unfortunately, our stuff, people are going to pass. And and sometimes our children, people are going to pass. Dogs will die. Men will leave you. Women will leave you. The life happens. And if you, you cannot have an excuse every time something happens to go back and destroy your life more. So because I was not doing the work that I needed, I relapsed and I died that night. I OD'd and died. By the grace of God, I was brought back because, again, it was, that's not how my story was supposed to end. Did you? And you, you were in the. Did you have to be hospitalized that night? No, no. They just yeah. they they. Well, I mean, and I say it like that because in a world that I'm in, it's not like you know. I, I, I was brought back. Most we should when you brought back with Narcan, you should go to the hospital. Most of us don't. We just keep it moving. 
Got you. So that because like, you're judged. Yeah, no, but look, you know, what what you're talking about is and what I want to commend you on is that like the level of accountability for you to not like looking back at it now and not just use that as an excuse. And when you say like life happens, right? Um, because when I think about it, like not even just in particular, like specific to your story, but with anything, if if I blame the things that are happening, then every time something happens, I'm going to have a reason to go back to whatever I was doing. So I, Absolutely. Just, I think that level of accountability is just admirable. Um, and, and what, you know, some of the things that you have to overcome in the midst of that, um, to, to be able to have that mindset, I just want to point that out. Like, I, I think that's amazing, but you know, you know, sorry to hear that you had to experience that too with, with your boyfriend passing and overdosing and, and you end up kind of having that bump in the road. So how did you go from there? You know what I mean? To get on the path you're on now, like as a recovery coach and like having the background you have, like even talking to you, I could tell like you've been um, through some type of schooling or certification or something just because you don't just talk from an opinionated standpoint. I could tell that there's a lot of work. Evidence-based. Yeah, behind it. Absolutely. So what happened that night, of course, because by this time I had moved back in with my mom. But after that part, you know, my mom was putting me out again. And my recovery coach's wife came to get me and let me stay there and nurse me back to health. And um, my, I had to start all over. I lost my job because you got to have the year cleaning work at the treatment center. Um, I had to rebuild my relationship with my parents and my kids. I literally had to start literally all over again. And uh, But I started doing the, the difference, though. I started doing the work. I got me a sponsor. I started going to my meetings. I started doing the work from the 12 steps. I started taking accountability. Most of all, I want to tell y'all, step four in Archives Anonymous is the inventory step. Okay, it's about taking your inventory, and that's why you will hear in my story absolute accountability. What part did you play in the way your life is? I had to understand that I cannot continue to play the blame game, I cannot continue to continue to be bitter, I cannot love while I'm hating. There is no way you can do both. And I had to make a choice. I had to make a choice. My choice was I wanted to love. My choice was I wanted to live. My choice was I wanted to be better. So therefore, I had to take accountability. And I literally did my inventory, the good and the bad and the ugly. And what I found out from that is I found out two things. One, that I wasn't as bad as I thought I was. But two, that I wasn't as great as I thought I was either. So what that did was that made me take a real good look at myself. And my next step all the way down to step nine is making amends. I sat down with my son and I got over all this, especially in our culture, you know, oh, I just beat his butt. He, you know, no. I took accountability with my son and I told him and I understood that I did abuse him. And I allowed him to let me know how that made him feel. I allowed him to talk to me without any judgment, without any interruption, even though it hurt, some of the things that hurt. And you know something else? I also had to understand what hurt more than any of that abuse, any of that trauma. My son has been doing breast cancer. My son did breast cancer research with Carmanos. He was part, he, every summer, he was part of a program that sent him to a different college to study up under some of the top scientists every summer. I'm talking about Yale, Harvard, University of Jefferson. My son, y'all, is amazing. Okay, when I told you he my financial advisor, life coach, don't get it twisted. He has earned those titles. 
titles. He's an amazing young man. But because I wasn't there, because I was in and out, when he graduated and walked across the stage valedictorian from his high school, and all of those people from the NAACP, everybody was there for him. All the kids that was graduating, they was here for him. And when he gave his speech, I was not mentioned once in that speech. You know why? Yeah. Because I wasn't there. And I harbored resentment for that, but I had to have some acceptance for that. I did this. So you know what? I developed acceptance. And I what 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 really turned my whole way of thinking around was when I was able to forgive his father. That turned look, when I tell you a weight, when they say a weight lifted up off, I know it's metaphorical, but I swear I could have felt that weight literally be yeah. left lifted up off of me when I honestly cause see I said I forgave him a lot of times. I'm talking about when I honestly did it and felt it in my heart. There was something that came over me to where before I could be in a beautiful English garden and I could pick out that one bad flower, but it turned around to where I could be in the worst neighborhood and I could pick out that one good thing that's growing. You, it, it literally transformed my way of thinking and it opened up my heart and it allowed me to start loving people. It allowed me to not have that bitterness. It allowed me to not have that hatred for life and to start embracing and and you know start the process of healing and because of my recovery coach and the ideal of the recovery coach i knew that that's what i wanted to be in order to be a recovery coach in michigan you have to have two you have to have a a a, um, a drug addiction and you also have to have a mental health diagnosis and you have to have been treated by the state, okay, meaning Medicaid. You can't not private insurance. That they 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 have those criteria so that they can keep us close to the people that we serving. You know, yeah. so th that we can be relatable. Um, I I um, worked at a drug treatment center for a long time. All I needed to work there was just a GED. So I worked there and I gained my knowledge and I did step studies and I helped so many people. And that brings me to now I work for an agency called Class Changing Lives and Staying Sober. We have partnered with 313 Hope Detroit to start the Bridge of the Gap program. OK, that program does not just help um, substance use misuse um, or alcohol. It also helps with housing, job placement, all different wraparound services, mental health. Um, I am, but now I am officially a recovery coach. I'm the lead recovery coach on this project. I do a lot of the outreach work. You know, I always joke, I say my desk is so smart because I'm never there. I go out <laughs> into the community and I help people. And I'm so fortunate because I do walk with God. So I do not have that fear. I go out, I'm very smart and safe about what I do. But a lot of companies, they scared, oh, I'm not doing that. You know what? If there's a need, I'm there. So I am somebody in county. Usually, if it's one of the worser parts, that's where I'm at. If it's a nicer part, you probably won't see me. Sorry. Wow. So, you know, I, I um, pass out Narcan kids to help people, you know, with from overdoses. I have connections with um, harm reduction, which is passing out condoms and needles. I know a lot of people frown upon things like that, but you know what? I always say it like this. I know a lot of people in the fellowship that were once 
IV users and different things that are now doing life-saving things in the community. And had they not had clean needles or had they not had that chance, they would not be here doing the amazing work they're doing. And people say everybody deserves a second chance. You know what? Sometimes people deserve a third, fourth, fifth, sixth chance because it's not for us to judge whether they should be here. It's only one judge out here and we're not it. No, and you know what? Like to that point, right? I think this is where, you know, the value in the credentials come in having experienced something, right? So it's like a lot of times too, man, and I, I love the way you talk about that. A lot of times we have to stop trying to be experts in things we haven't experienced. And that Absolutely. really like the root word is really expert and experience are from the same word. And so it's like, you know, we can walk around, like you say, and frown upon things and, and stuff like that. But when you really want to impact people, one thing about me is this. I am always careful before I criticize people who are actually in the trenches. Like that mm -hmm. is something I respect very much. So, um, and I commend you and I'm proud of the work that you're doing. Proud to say that I know you because you're out there touching real people. And it's easy for people to, um, you know, like judge from far away because you're not there and you don't know the ins and outs. But when you have somebody who has lived that life in a real way, like, man, no, yeah. to me, all we can do is commend and also trust your expertise. Like, trust the fact that you know um, the ins and outs of that world a little more in depth than someone who hasn't um, experienced it. So, I know I, I completely commend that. And, um, you know, so, so far as, you know, from a time frame perspective and, and, and you know, I, I'll kind of get you out of here on these last couple of thoughts. Like, I'm just curious now, like what, you know, you talked about kind of the bump in the road and your boyfriend um, kind of overdosing right in front of you and passing away. God rest his soul. Um, mm -hmm. What so what's the timeline now? Like how long ago was that? Um, versus where you are now and then if you could just kind of like leave us with like what are you still looking to do in the future like what what does the future hold for you and how can somebody contact um you know this program how can they get in touch um and i'll make sure that whatever this information is you can kind of send it to me uh message or text me i'll make sure that okay. in the show notes that people could easily get whether it's a phone number email website whatever um so you can look in the show notes but yeah if you could just kind of share those things like the timeline um and what you're looking to do next and, and how people can get in touch um, with you or this program if they need help okay so to answer your question in my community we call Time. Okay, and I have three and a half going on four years clean since that night. Congratulations. Thank you. And what my plans are, I have a five-year goal and I have a 10-year goal. My five-year goal is to open up some sobriety houses in Wayne County. And my 10-year goal is to open up my own inpatient treatment center. And I just want to say this. If you not just if you need help. If anybody you know needs help, I do recovery groups. I'm extremely relatable. I don't judge. Even though you may see me talk a lot and I'm transparent, that is my own personal choice. I do believe in anonymity for others, and I will absolutely respect that. So if you contact me, it will absolutely be between us. First of all, on Facebook is Erica Van Austin. You can definitely message me. Um, I always post different things about my program on my 
Facebook. I will give him the information because um, everything goes to is goes to my number. My number is all over the place. A lot of people are like, are you crazy? Yeah, I probably am. I did a lot of drugs, but you know what? It's all good now. <laughs> you know? And, that's, and, that's the, and that's the thing. That's the thing. You know, I just try to, people be like, well, how can you joke? You know why? Because you got to laugh to keep from crying. Yeah. And you know what? At the end of the day, at the end of the day, I'm here. I'm where I'm at now. And um, I'm I'm good where I'm at. And I just want to help others. So if anybody out there needs help or they know a family member that needs help, you can definitely contact me that way. Okay? Man, no, I, I appreciate it, Erica. It was um, great catching up and hearing your story. This is going to help a lot of people, man. And, you know, I definitely be keeping you in my prayers and just look forward to seeing you kind of reach those goals um, that you have five year and 10 year goal. And it's going to help a lot of people. Um, yes. So keep doing what you're doing. I'm definitely a fan of it and got nothing but love for you. Um, and thanks. Thanks for being so transparent and, and really sharing your story on the show. Oh, yeah, absolutely welcome. All right. Thank you. Guys, people, thank you so much for listening to today's show with Erica. Please reach out to Erica if you want to. Her number is 313-412-2160. Of course, she is a recovery coach. And as you've heard, man, through her story of abuse, addiction, recovery, and redemption, no matter what you're going through, God can make a way. Love y'all.